Hi, I'm your host, Brittany Spence, and this is In the Face of Illness. We are a podcast committed to cultivating a greater understanding of the many resources available for families facing childhood illness, because we believe this is a vital topic of conversation, not only for families in the throes of the fight, but for everyone. Ultimately, we are here to offer hope in the face of illness. Webb Smith serves as clinical exercise physiologist in the Heart Institute and Pediatric Obesity Program at LeBonner Children's Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee. LeBonner's Pediatric Obesity Program includes their Healthy Lifestyles Clinic, which brings together a multidisciplinary team of pediatricians, registered dietitians, fitness specialists, and behavioral health coaches to help children and adolescents manage their weight. He also serves as an associate professor in the Department of Pediatrics, College of Medicine at the University of Tennessee Health Science Center in Memphis, Tennessee. Dr. Smith specializes in clinical exercise physiology and exercise prescription. Dr. Smith has broad experience with exercise as part of medical care in children with complex medical diagnosis. His clinical research interests include heart failure and transplant, pediatric obesity, health-related physical fitness, and exercise prescription. Dr. Smith has been the author, co-author of over 30 peer-reviewed publications. We are honored to have Webb Smith with us here today to talk to us more about his role um, at LeBonner in the um, Healthy Lifestyles Clinic and um, lots of different roles. And also, he has got just a neat perspective on all of that because of his own family journey, their family story that he has with his son, Carter. So we're honored you're here. It's always kind of a fun thing for me to see um, both David and I, a lot of what we do and who we are comes from our experience of having a sick child. And so um, it's always kind of a neat thing for me to see how a purpose can come together, you know, whether it's a family member or a friend or a cousin or whatever it may be that really helps kind of wiggle that into what you're doing in life. So um, we're glad you're here. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I'm honored to be here for the Forrest Spence Foundation. Yeah. Okay. So um, so let's kind of just start a little bit from the beginning um, and kind of tell us Tell us about this role. I know um, just in talking to you that there's lots of different roles that you do within this. So let's kind of talk about what your role is right now, and then we can kind of go back a little bit on things that you've done leading up to this. Yeah, so I'm um, I'm a clinical research scientist, I guess is probably the the cleanest way to think of that. I, um, I, I see patients in clinic, and but I'm also very much a scientist at heart. So I'm uh, r- really like the complex chronic uh, cases because there are a number of things there that I feel like we can work and try to discover and uh, and 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 really dig in deeply to try to impact the families and, and solve problems. And so um, I, I always kind of think of the my how I spend my time in percentage. And I'm probably about 60% researcher and about okay. 40% clinical okay. uh, with my time. But the much like you were mentioning family and work mm-hmm. blending together, those also blend together because all of my clinical patients in some way were, you know, we're th- evaluating them, thinking about how to to answer some sort of question, maybe for them personally or for whichever, um, you know, diagnosis that that um, that they're that they're working their way through. Yeah. Um, so 
Tell me a little bit about that. I mean, I feel like Lebonner's really doing a good job of trying to do this multidisciplinary kind of team where, you know, that wasn't something that you saw, you know, that long ago where it very much felt like, um, you know, you've got your blank kind of doctor and then your blank kind of doctor and your blank kind of doctor. And they didn't always interact a lot. Um, And now really having this role of in order to really touch on what's really going on to get to the bottom of it, not just this has happened, what do we do, but get to the bottom of it. They're doing this multidisciplinary. So tell me a little bit about that. There's lots of you that are working in this kind of new role, healthy lifestyles. Tell me about that. Yeah, I think this is really born out of a, some really exciting advances um, You know, over the last 20 or so years towards more family-centered care. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that that, you know, it's not that it's really focused on exactly the family, but I, I think that did encourage providers and physicians to think broadly about the patient and think broadly about the uh, things that might influence the patient. Mm-hmm. And so these multidisciplinary um, teams really give you the opportunity to, you know, when we're consulting on patients or we're talking uh, to patients, it's not uh, the diagnosis is not um, congenital heart defect. Mm-hmm. And so the cardiologist is going to do that. I think there's now a much better understanding that that there is a congenital heart defect or it is, a, you know, a child with, with obesity, but that's going to touch a lot of portions of their life. And mm-hmm. it's not just fix that problem and everything else is, is solved, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think these multidisciplinary teams allow there to be multiple opinions in the room where we're saying, okay, well, we need to think about this, right? You know, I think that um, exercise is, a, is something that needs to be included in there. You know, when you think of normal kids, you think of kids without any, you know, just peer, peer-based active kids, they you know, they, they can do a lot of things and and the activities that they choose to do are often a real key stimulus for growth and development. Mm-hmm. And in some of the kids with chronic disease or maybe they have some sort of physical limitation, um, it's just not so easy, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. you, you it's easy to think, oh, well, th- let's have that kid go and be active. And I think the medical community is now over the last, you know, 10 or so years really started to prioritize, like, it's not enough to just tell parents to, you know, they're should eat healthy Mm -hmm. and they should be more active because in some cases that's not that easy. And there really are maybe some, some key things that need to pay attention to. And so that's really kind of where my work comes in. But when we have these multidisciplinary teams, I think that each of those, you know, I just gave one specific Mm -hmm. aspect of that, but on the team, you have a social worker, you have all these other uh, inputs, which are really valuable. And it lets us to really, I think, tailor care uh, to the things that are going to first be the most impactful for the the family mm-hmm. and the patient, but also to get the things that are going to make the um, make the patient buy in and see what we're doing and, and work work through those things, while also understanding that in pediatrics you, you're not just taking care of a sick child; mm-hmm. you're taking care of a sick child and a parent mm-hmm. that is that is the thing that they care the most about and they are likely struggling uh, to to process some of those things. So you can't care for one well. And not care for the other and call that good care. And I think that's really what a lot of these multidisciplinary teams have have allowed us to um, cover broadly the things that are going to be most concerning for these families. So kind of give me an example of this so we can kind of, you know, better understand it. So how in the first place do you get a, a child referred to you? How is it? How do they even become in this, you know, referred to your team or the healthy lifestyles? Is it is it a mixture of um 
Well, we'll just let you kind of how how do we even start to finish here? How does this begin? Sure. So our Healthy Lifestyle Clinic is um, it's a referral base. So you would generally get a referral from your pediatrician or primary care practitioner. Maybe it's another specialist that's seeing you. Um, And and in order to um, you, you would have. The patient would have to meet criteria like in above the 95th percentile for um, for body weight, which would classify them as a child with obesity. Okay. Um, and so then they would get a referral to our clinic and they come in and they, you know, um, start the evaluation process from okay. there. Okay. Um, but it definitely is generated from your primary care. Okay. Okay. So if a, a mom or a dad is concerned, you know, about, you know, maybe some trends they're seeing with their child and their pediatrician has not spoken up yet. You know, would you encourage them to say to the pediatrician, like, I've heard about this, you know, is this something that maybe, you know, could be something that's good for, you know, so-and-so? How would you kind of encourage them to be the advocate they need to be or they feel like they need to be for this child? Yeah, I think I think I would encourage them to ask the questions. Mm -hmm. And if their pediatrician isn't concerned about it, they should say, hey, look, I'm concerned about this, you know, should I be, you know, right. here's why I'm concerned and yeah. and have an open conversation with the uh, pediatrician or, or any of the, the doctors and medical providers that they're, that they're seeing. Um, I, you know, I, I think in, in, you know, specific to the HLC, that would be the way I would go, but in general, that would be how I would go. If yeah. you're concerned about something, yeah. ask questions and, yeah. um, you know, all, all of, uh, all, all of those providers are well-trained to, to help route you. If maybe you're, you have a provider that you don't think is aware of the healthy lifestyle clinic, then, um, you know, I would ask questions about it and ask yeah. questions about how concerned they are for weight. And, mm-hmm. and if they don't lead you to it, then say, well, what about a referral to the yeah. healthy lifestyle clinic? Um, because I, I think that that's, um, you know, I think you do need to advocate for your child there and, and very yeah. clearly, uh, in the, uh, pediatric obesity space, the longer you delay because maybe it's going to get better, mm-hmm. um, that that increases risk. That's not a that's not something where wait and see is generally a, a, a very effective uh, treatment. You yeah. really need to be a little more proactive and get get evaluated. And ages. Are y'all seeing all ages in that clinic? Yeah, we see all ages um, from, you know, infant toddler up to age 21 or so. Okay. Um, but the majority of the patients that we see are probably around 12 years old, plus or minus three or four years. Yeah. Um, there. Okay. That's that's the majority of our of yeah. our patient population. Okay. Okay. That's really, really good to know. Um, and then another part, um, I feel like, of kind of what you do as well, I think that we touched on a little bit, is talking about even in the the cardiology side, right, where you're working with those families who maybe had a heart transplant or waiting on a heart. Tell me a little bit about that side of kind of what you do. Sure. It's it's really a, a very similar approach. I, I really feel like that exercise prescription, exercise therapy should be a part of the medical uh, treatment plan, just mm-hmm. like prescribing a medication is and just yeah. like, uh, you know, you prioritize any other number of medications, uh, particularly with the Heart Institute uh, patients, we do pre-transplant. So, um, the way that I view that, so I am, I am a scientist, but I'm also an ex-athlete. Mm-hmm. So I think of a lot of this as, um, uh, you know, as, as training for, um, yeah. you know, whatever's coming up. Okay. And so if we know the patient's likely to have surgery, maybe they have a device implanted or something like that. And, but we know it's temporary. My strategy there is to be pretty aggressive. Right. And yeah. just like we would train athletes, you know, it's beginning of baseball season. They're, they're training for their games. Well, is, you know, surgery day for a cardiology or a heart patient is, is a pretty big event, right? Yeah. So we can train for that. We can get you as strong and, um, and healthy and fit as we can. And, you know, we really, 
our strategy we really believe that that delivers the surgeon and the anesthesiology team and all that um the the best potential candidate that they could have and yeah. uh and you know early research does bear that out that the that how how fit you are when you go into surgery um generally it 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 is uh beneficial right and uh faster recovery decreased yeah. pain and those kind of things after so we really try to be pretty aggressive with it okay. um and, and looking I, per kit obviously taking each kid where they're at currently um you know some we've obviously seen through the years that you know, are not in a great place and, and may not be able to get up and moving around. But there's other things that maybe they can be doing, you know, even from the bed or just in their room or, or whatever else. So you really look at each kid specifically, right, yeah, to, to determine what they need. So this gets dangerously close to a soapbox. So turn yeah. off the mic if I go <laughs> yeah. too much. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, th I think that it, that with any exercise prescription in any chronic disease, you really have to understand where the patient is starting out to mm -hmm. effectively treat them, right? Um, this is why peer-based activities would not be successful in that group, right? You okay. just throw everybody in and you hope that it works yeah. out. Yeah. In this case, you know, working with um, – Working with exercise physiology, we would assess the patient to understand what their current health-related physical fitness is. So maybe it is somebody that doesn't have, um, you know, the heart function to support mm -hmm. going on a jog, right, mm -hmm. or something mm -hmm. like that. So, yeah, we could do something in the bed. Maybe we do arm ergometer or something there. So it okay. very much would be tailored to what their medical goals are what their medical risk is, and then also what their current fitness levels are. Mm -hmm. Blend that with what the patient sort of motivations and yeah. where they are like maybe you know it, obviously this would be in the midst of a serious health condition so maybe you've got some depression and mm -hmm. things that you need to account for but we would we would really account for all of those things in 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 a plan and and then the goal is just to try to move forward right uh, the 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 soapbox is that you know everybody associates exercise with athletes or strength and conditioning with athletes um but really you know it it's it's just training so mm -hmm. if you're starting out at just just able to walk then your pr is walking that's fine mm -hmm. you, you you could your training plan could be maybe to walk faster yeah. or to walk longer, or maybe it is to work up to a jog. Mm -hmm. But really, you know, it's it's just about trying to you know, come up with a plan to get the patient a little better each day. Yeah. Um, and and that so that that would be really how, how it would work. It's the same with our healthy lifestyle clinic. You know, whatever that patient's goal is, maybe we have, um, you know, someone that is borderline diabetic. Mm -hmm. Well, exercise is really effective at treating prediabetes. So maybe that's their top flight goal is. Okay. Let's not let's not get on a medication for uh, for treating this, and that's the patient's goals. I don't want to take a medication. Then we yeah. can develop a plan to yeah. try to help control the medical goals. And I always say that you know when we're working with families, is we're really trying to blend the medical team's goals and the patient's goals. So it it puts me in this position where I sort of have one foot on the medical team, communicating with all the doctors, yeah. and then the other really supporting the family, okay. figuring them out, figuring out how they can do these things at home uh, on their own, what's safe. Um, you know, dealing with a, a lot of times, particularly in the heart patients, parents are really anxious because mm -hmm. there have been periods of their of their child's life where they've been told, like, hey, you shouldn't be active. Like, they mm -hmm. we've got all these restrictions because it could be dangerous. Yeah. And then they're told, hey, now it's fine. Just go. Yeah. Go be active. Yeah. And they're like, well, hold on. You know, we spent yeah. five years here very sick. Yeah. Um, and so we can kind of work them through that and show them, okay, here's the things you're going to look for. Here's how you check this. Okay. Um, the patient who's never been active. Yeah. Here's what's normal, right? Like, yeah. you know, being a little sweaty, not a bad thing. Yeah. A little out yeah. of breath, not a bad thing. Yeah. So tired you can't move. 
problematic, right? Right. Okay. Um, and so, so really, it's about blending those things together. That's really amazing. And tell me, you've said this more than once that it is actually an exercise. I think you've either said exercise prescribed or prescribed exercise. Tell me, like when you say that, well, obviously we know medicine is prescribed, you know, next steps, but tell me kind of that when you put that in wording the way that you do, tell me kind of explain what that means. Yeah, that wording is very intentional. Okay. Um, so exercise prescription is exactly the same as prescribing a, you know, a, a medication. We just account for different things, right? Because, okay. you know, I, I think that, uh, and this is really so that it kind of fits with the rest of the medical, um, the medical narrative, right? Mm -hmm. You, when you get an, uh, a medication, get an antibiotic, right? You're told to take this many pills, which are this strong, mm -hmm. this many times a day, and it's going to help, you know, deal with your infection. With exercise, it's the exact same, right? Um, if if we, we want you to exercise, so we got to choose the right exercise. Mm -hmm. You have to do it at the proper intensity, right? Mm -hmm. Because if we really want to try to improve health, then we know that there are thresholds to that, right? And it's got to be intense enough. That it's a stimulus to make the body react, mm -hmm. but not too much of a stimulus that it causes things to break. Mm -hmm. um, and then we want to deal with frequency and those things. So it's really exactly the same. You know, mm -hmm. you get medication, you should take it this many times a day, this this long, all that exercises. We, we treat exercise exactly the same. But how we determine the prescription is to really carefully understand where you're starting from. Yeah. And then incrementally take you where we're where our goals are dictating we want to go um, too much and First of all, it hurts and yeah. no one wants to do it, right? Like yeah. that's 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 never fun. But also we want to make sure that it's enough of a stimulus that you can recover from it quickly and and be ready for the next workout or be ready for the next medical procedure or whatever the case is there. And in the Healthy Lifestyles Clinic, how often are they coming? Uh, it, it it varies um, based on the individual patient. We, okay. we generally try to see them about once per month. Okay. Um, okay. And then, but like from an exercise perspective, we would give them things to do in between. Um, so we would give them, you know, maybe some workouts or, or something like really counseling them to try to incorporate activity at home. So a lot of those programs end up looking like they leave, they, we have a session and they, they leave the session and it's like, all right, your goal is three, three walks of 30 minutes per week for the next two weeks. And then when they come back, we gauge okay, how okay. successful they okay. were there. And then after we get a really good uh, routine established, then generally we can say, okay, well, we got, we're clearly able to get 30 minutes, four days a yeah. week. So what's the perfect workout for that amount of time? Yeah. And we could, we, we would you know construct something for them there based on what resources they have and access and all that. David, when people ask my husband, you know, why pediatrics, why, you know, why was that your your chosen field over, um, you know, adult orthopedic? And, and one of the things he's always said is kids just want to go play again. They're where adults, it's it's, you know, uh, we have more things that we we have excuses for why we don't exercise. And a lot of them are, you know, in all honesty, I mean, I think about myself, real excuses. I mean, children and work and job and house and all those things where kids so often their desire is just to go back and play. And so, um, you know, David's always talked about that. They're more of I'm going to do what I'm told to do because I want this for David, I want this cast off. I want to run again. I want to play soccer again. I want to play on the playground. I want to I want to keep up with my friends, whatever it may be. Where adults tend to, you know, not always do. I think that word exercise prescription um, is probably a little harder for adults. Now, mind you, with kids, you're also working with parents that so often 
parents have to be involved in that. When I think about my own kids, none of mine can drive yet. So it's really me taking them to all their sports. It's me, you know, encouraging them to, and as my kids get older, the more I'm seeing it even in my teenagers, they're wanting to live a healthier lifestyle, you know, because they see the benefits of that. Makes, you know, my oldest stronger at football and wrestling and baseball if he's, you know, working out regularly and and doing those things um, and watching that kind of trend. So why pediatrics for you? What was your reasoning? Kind of tell me your backstory of what led you down this road of exercise physiology and even the pediatrics side. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think I think working in pediatrics, it, it's just a, a, such a fun energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I always think of when I'm when I'm working with them, I get a lot of kids that ask questions, and mm-hmm. and like I I really love the energy of of those questions because they're generally the intent is to is to to learn something, right? Mm-hmm. They're asking the question because they want to know something, and it's not any deeper than that. They really want to figure things yeah. out, and yeah. and I find that you know really fun and exciting to work with. I, I had a a mentor at one point say that you know like all kids are scientists; uh, they're all investigating mm-hmm. everything around them until we you know sort of beat it out of them yeah. uh, where they have to conform to the rules. And so I always I, I've always sort of enjoyed that energy, and and you know I, I think also like their goals are are generally. They they are you know things that they can define and they're often very creative and and very interesting and so I I like the way that it makes me think about the world right mm-hmm. having to interact to uh, and and hear all these different perspectives that are not always formed and you think okay well why why do I think that that's the right way like mm-hmm. am I right mm-hmm. um, so I, I think that's a, that's a cool opportunity and then you know with the um, you know kids with with chronic disease I I, I think that it's it's a group that. Are ju- they're just kids that, mm-hmm. that need a little little help to get through mm-hmm. what they're doing, from, particularly from a you know an exercise or a physical activity or a, maybe even a sport setting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they still they still have all of the same drives and motivations for the most part, mm-hmm. um, but you know it's not so easy to figure those things out. And so mm-hmm. I think it's a really cool opportunity to be able to challenge a kid that's you know, maybe had a heart condition their whole life and not been active, but now they're at a place where they're stable. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, let's let's go find some sort of cool goal mm-hmm. to take down and mm-hmm. uh um you know and and being able to be a part of them expanding sort of their horizons and realize that things are possible that they maybe didn't think were possible mm-hmm. and help them along that journey mm-hmm. is a really cool rewarding setting. You know how I got here. I got here, I guess, because I, like I said, I was an athlete. I played baseball uh, in high school and in, and in college, and then I, you know, went into training. And I was a good student. I was going, going to, you know, planning to go to medical school, and I ended up, you know, rotating around and seeing things and realizing that I like the science and research mm-hmm. into things a little bit more. And I applied a lot of different places. I ended up uh, getting accepted for a job at St. Jude and worked there for about eight years. And getting to you know be in that environment with kids and 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 working with them, I think I I, I really enjoyed that. I, I've always sort of joked that I like either end of the age spectrum. I've worked a lot with like older uh, elderly adults and with kids, and okay. and I like both of those populations. And I've yeah. done quite a bit of work in there, but um, it's the ones in the middle that you know, like you said, they've got all these other motivations and, yeah. and ideas and and 
end up sabotaging themselves a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I have I, I've uh, not worked a lot with that group, uh-huh. but but I, I really do enjoy the pediatric group, and and you know I, I do think it's kind of an honor to, to get to work with them and show them kind of what's possible mm-hmm. um, in in some of these settings because I don't know that it's always as clear as people think. Yeah, and tell us a little bit um, if you don't mind. Tell us a little bit about your kind of family story and your own. Um, I can only imagine hearing you speak and the things that you've said, how y'all's journey and Carter's journey has kind of weaved itself through that. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, there is uh, there is no doubt that those things are hopelessly entwined. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm a much more compassionate clinician and, and practitioner and than, than I would have been before having been on the you know the other side of the the yeah. table um, so I have a 14 year old uh, Carter he has spina bifida he's had I think like 30 or 30 plus surgeries wow. so some long hospital stays he uses crutches in a wheelchair to get around mm-hmm. doing really well in middle school and mm-hmm. uh, he himself is uh, like an emerging athlete so he does wheelchair basketball oh, that's awesome. um, which we train for locally and have to travel a little bit for and then he does bass fishing tournaments so he's wow, the, that's yeah he's awesome. the reigning Tennessee state junior champion so what? Um, that's amazing. so he does does fishing tournaments um, and yeah, he's 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 an awesome kid. He but you know it was quite a journey. We f- we found out my wife found out um, like 14 weeks into the pregnancy that there were some signs that there were some things going on there. And so at the time, I worked at St. Jude, and we started asking questions about where we had to go to get mm-hmm. the best care. And uh, you know, Labonner's uh, one of the physicians that work with us like, well, are you just trying to move because Labonner is right here? And, mm-hmm. you know, we, we need, we knew we needed immediate neurosurgery. And, mm-hmm. um, and so there was uh, Dr. Boop who was mm-hmm. just an awesome, uh, physician and, and, and person was, was there. So we went and we met with him and yeah, so we, we, we stayed there. And then a, a couple of years later, I had an opportunity to join the faculty at UT in the medical school and at Labonner and, um, and so I, I moved over and I've been practicing at Labonner for about nine or 10 years now. Okay. Okay. And so Carter's doing well now. Obviously, y'all have had, as you say, 30-something surgeries. That's a lot of of in and out of the hospital, a lot of um, struggles for him and y'all. But overall, he's doing doing well and really trying to figure out, too, I can only imagine what a blessing it is to have you as a father who understands the, you know, that things may look different than your peers, but we can still really do life in a great way. Um, And, you know, having to maybe adapt some things, but really allow him to be the kid that he needs to be, should be, wants to be. Um, I can only imagine how much of a a blessing that is to have that as well. But overall, Carter's doing great. Yeah, he's doing great. Um, you know, uh, some of those some of those math tests are a little tough now, yeah. but yeah, he's doing he's doing really well and, and and integrating a lot of activities. And I think you're right. Like there there are um, you know we have we have pretty good resources and we've been able to solve a lot of problems. And I think that you know understanding some of the things that, that are going on and and being able to problem solve those and and being tenacious enough to advocate and mm-hmm. not take no for an answer when mm-hmm. no is not the right answer mm-hmm. and you know obviously in a reasonable way but digging in and saying like this doesn't make sense to me to the medical team like yeah. i'm gonna need you to explain it or or with the schools say mm-hmm. they'll say well we don't think the service is uh is needed like well you're gonna need to justify that mm-hmm. because i'm not just okay with that yeah um so having the confidence and the you know the the ability to do that um is has been really helpful but i, I will also say that that i didn't start out that way either mm-hmm. like i've learned a lot 
from him mm-hmm. and from the process that um that I you know I would not have probably challenged things as much or um or pushed quite as far for yeah. resources and be as creative without the combination of my training and of having the you know a, a real world scenario that yeah. that I care deeply about and I have no problem advocating for and yeah. and and those things in in my son I, I think that's a really really special thing that has um that has probably been beneficial for both uh, yeah, equally. Absolutely, absolutely. And so beneficial for the families that you come in contact with because you really, you know, there's to be able to say, I don't understand what they're going through because nobody can understand their story. And even though, you know, spending two months in a hospital, you know, with my child and and going through what we went through with Forrest, obviously it, it gives me, you know, a different perspective that I can provide to families that, you know, we love on and minister to. But um, but to say I understand what you're going through, I don't because it's their story and it's their journey and their life and even those that have very similar outcomes as us. Um, but to be able to say, you know, I have rocked in that rocker. I have sat in that room. I have walked those halls as I have heard the worst of news and the best of news. Um, you know, I really, I, I know what it's like to, you know, be told something that's so unbelievably hard. There's just something to that that I think offers something to parents that maybe not every, um, you know, every person they come in contact can. Yeah, I mean, I I think I think back to some of my closest friends mm-hmm. <clears throat> that I know deeply care about me and my family, and you know we're you know we're trapped in the hospital for you know a little while waiting or mm-hmm. whatever, and uh, and you know some of them very well intentioned or like you know we'll, we'll say things and you're like like yeah. i know you don't mean it that way yeah but you don't know what to say and yeah. and like that wasn't right and yeah. so i think you know like also like learning okay like they mean well yeah like don't get offended by like yeah. keep moving but i i also sort of hate the uh every time you know you go and you 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 talk with the family and like, oh, well, this isn't, we hear this a lot. Like, well, this isn't nearly as bad as what you dealt with. And yeah. and I really agree with you in that like everybody's journey is their own. Yeah. And every scenario is their own because we've had like some relatively minor things mm-hmm. that were really, really scary. Yeah. And the surgeons are like, like, this isn't really a big deal. Yeah. Like, well, this one feels like a big deal to me. Yeah. And I understand that logically and rationally, yeah. the risk is low here. Yeah. But yeah. this feels way worse, whereas yeah. we've had some fairly extensive surgeries that were like, OK, well, yeah. like and I think part of that has to do with the how we arrived at the decision. Yeah. When it's like a really serious procedure that is a no brainer yeah. that you have to do because the risk of doing nothing is is yeah. big. Yeah. Like I, I can I can wrap my head around like I'm right. taking a risk, but there's a big risk otherwise. Yeah. And so it, every time I. I'm thinking of that. It's I'm reminded that like every person's like, like I see I've seen a lot of kids post op. I've mm-hmm. worked with a lot of kids post op. It just it's so different when it's your own. Yeah, and everybody is differently equipped by it. Right, I'm yeah. not intimidated by the medical community or medical environment. Right, yeah. like I know a lot of the yeah. physicians and I can talk to them. But still, mm-hmm. something when you're there, it's yeah. it's different. I mean, you know, you're. Yeah. I mean. And and we, we have a mutual friend that I was just talking to and 
you know, she was saying like, well, this is, you know, this is a little scary, but it's not as bad as some of the things that mm-hmm. you've gone through. I'm like, man, you, you're missing it, right? Because yeah. it's you, it's just not. Yeah. It, there, there's just so much more that goes into it. Yeah. Um, and so I am now very careful not to judge somebody else's yeah, journey, absolutely. right? But you know, I know one of our friends, their kid just went and had tubes in their mm-hmm. ears, and they were super anxious about it, but were reluctant to talk to mm-hmm. like my wife and I about mm-hmm. it because they're like, well, it seems like something that mm-hmm. like is so minor. Like, how yeah. can we complain to you guys about it? It's yeah. like, no, this is yeah. like that's your. And I'll tell you, we've done 30 surgeries. I've handed my son over to a medical team 30 times for him to go back and get surgery. And it has not gotten any easier at any of them. And it is still the most challenging, emotional thing that I'll ever do. Yeah. And not all those procedures were, uh, quote unquote, a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it's it's everybody's journey is their own and everybody is differently equipped to deal with it and, yeah. and things that may seem like a big deal uh, to some or maybe not to others. And so I, I'm very careful to like when I talk to families, like gauge where where they are yeah. and how they're feeling about it. Because, you know, I mentioned earlier, when you're caring for a sick kid, you're caring for a sick family yeah. and you're often caring for yeah. two parents that yeah. are very stressed about yeah. it. Right. That's their yeah. entire world. That's going to do whatever you're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe they understand, maybe they don't, but that's a pretty sacred Mm -hmm. honor, right? So they've got, uh, they're they're trusting you a lot. And so it's it's something that you really, that I I really am careful to to honor and appreciate how how big a moment that is in somebody's life. Yeah. Uh, David, when he uh, used to meet with the residents, especially orthopedic, but even a couple of times he went and spoke to all the kind of all the new residents. But one of the things he'll always say to his new, you know, residents are coming into his, you know, into his service or whatever, pediatrics, he'll say, you know, to you is just another day in the office. It's just another day of doing a surgery that you've done quite a few times. I mean, you know, in all honesty, parents hope you've done it a lot, that this isn't your first time to do this, that they hope that you've done it lots. But to you, it's kind of another day in the office. It's another day of doing a certain kind of surgery or a certain kind of clinic. But to this parent, it's the worst day of their life because they're handing over to you their child who needs the surgery and they're scared and they're fearful and they're not looking at it as just another you know, elbow fix or just another ACL or whatever it may be, they're literally looking at it as one of the worst days of their life. And so if you can keep that in perspective of, yes, this is your job. This is what you're supposed to do. We hope you've done 300 ACLs, you know, but but it's still for that family. It, it is a terrible moment for them. Yeah, it's the most stressful thing they've yeah. probably ever done. And yeah. you're like, it, it is tough to keep in perspective as a provider yeah. that, you know, I'm ha- I'm having these these interactions, and every one of them for for me mm-hmm. is another interaction. Yeah. But for them, it's and it's the most stressful interaction they yeah. will maybe ever have. Um, and and I think maybe they even more. came in like stressed, especially like with y'all. I think about you know just thinking about putting myself in that place and thinking, okay, we we haven't done. The, ex- the exercise prescription to the T. We haven't gotten those three walks in a week because of, you know, life, other kids, single mom, she's working all the time, whatever it may be. And I think sometimes even that, the stress and anxiety of, you know, they asked me to do all these things and I wasn't able to do it all. I did the best I can, but I'm nervous to go in there. Yeah, and so I'll sometimes to, they just cancel and I'll they don't give go. You a, give you a secret here. If you come in and you say, oh, I didn't get all these things mm-hmm. done, 
then that's actually way more valuable because yeah. then we've got some things that we can try to solve, right? Yeah. I mean, that's where like my team, that's that's our expertise is to help yeah. problem solve some of these things. Yeah. So if you come in and you haven't been able to do things yeah. or things have really gotten in the way and you don't mention those things, yeah. then can't we can't help. help. Yeah. yeah, we can't yeah, help. Sure. And so we, we do talk about this as like, you know, I here here's our goal. Yeah. I'm I'm equally, if not more interested in what got in the way or what yeah. made this hard than I am that it went great yeah. because if if we figure out the things that get in the way remember everybody coming in is essentially not doing it beforehand yeah. right yeah. Uh, or the majority like they're yeah. not they're not like all regular exercisers that are um you know just deciding to come and try to get an exercise prescription for the most yeah. part so figuring out like and then also teaching them about hey these are things that are in the way and here's how to solve it that's when it becomes actually an effective yeah. uh, an effective intervention well and then you're and you also seem in that realm that that you're working together this is really a team this is really not your the medical team saying this is what you do but instead the the caregiver also really being a part of that team to say this worked and this didn't you know like honestly to get johnny outside five times a week to walk is impossible so help me come up with something that a little bit better you know we tried to put off that oh yeah yeah this is what we need to do sure and so i think incorporating that mom or that dad or that grandmother whoever the caregiver is and saying you are a part of this team what does that look like you know, how can we support you in that um, is key. And then hopefully uh, yeah. they can look at it as a, I'm not having my hand slapped saying you're not doing enough, but instead I'm having my hand held to say, this is what you do. Yeah, that is a, that is a fundamental piece of how our clinic works, but mm -hmm. not just with Johnny's parents in the mm -hmm. example, but like Johnny has to, you yeah. know, we got to figure out what motivates him, what he likes to do, right? Yeah. If, if it's not walking outside, then recommending they walk outside is just a terrible tell yeah. terrible suggestion right yeah. so then maybe we we figure out that you know johnny wants to play video games inside but there's a flight of stairs in the house so johnny can play games for 40 minutes and then walk up and down the stairs for 10 minutes yeah. right so they're really practical ways of uh, of solving some yeah. of those things that aren't as complex as people uh, I, I think they work themselves up and they get really yeah. anxious about um but it, it also isn't that you know being a regular exerciser for to improve your health doesn't mean you're running for an hour a day yeah. either, right? There's yeah. a lot of ways to get that done, and yeah. and there's a, a a lot of ways to approach it. But you're right, like it it absolutely won't work because even in the best case scenario, uh, with some of the most the the sickest, most intense patients that I'll I'll intervene with, I'm seeing them maybe three hours a week. Mm -hmm. Which means there's a there's way more hours when mm -hmm. they're not working with me. Yeah. Um. And so if and, and you know if I'm doing a good job, then I'm I'm really spending my three hours teaching them how to do a lot of this on their own and showing them how to move forward. Right. Even right. our really sick patients, where you know they're coming and doing the three hours a week with me, so I can monitor them to make sure that they're safely responding to exercise. Um, while I'm monitoring them to make sure they're responding appropriately, I'm talking to them about how to monitor themselves mm -hmm. and understand that like, hey, if you decide to go walk the zoo and you realize that you're getting really out of breath, that's the time to take a break. Yeah. And here's how you check your heart rate and, mm -hmm. you know, those kind of things so that yeah. they can self-administer a lot of this. Because even in the best scenario, I'll never have enough time with that uh, family 
to do it all for them. So if they come and work with me three days a week, if that's all the intervention, then that's not going to be nearly um, as successful as as any of us would hope it would be. It really has to be uh, a piece of the program and the parents are going to be way more influential than I can be most of the time. So my my goal is really my goal and my role are really to help support the parent and Mm -hmm. the child to live a healthier lifestyle, not for me to make them live a healthier lifestyle, yeah, right? Yeah, um, and that sure. distinction is really, I think, really important. And as we talk to families, we're able to kind of um, bring that along, right? Yeah. Well, as we're kind of wrapping up here, is there anything else you think that we should know that maybe we didn't touch on or, you know, you want caregivers to be aware of? Is there anything that we kind of, you know, didn't really speak about? You know, I I think that one thing I would say in general, particularly in the pediatric obesity space is, you know, it's a tough space, right? There's a lot of judgment and those things that happen there. Um, and, and, and don't be afraid of that. Like go, you know, talk to your pediatrician, talk to the providers, get the referrals you need. Um, it's, you know, regardless of what your weight is, there are many, many steps that we can take with healthy lifestyle to, to be healthier. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and it's not all about weight loss and it doesn't need to be all about weight loss. The goal is to have, you know, children grow into adults that can, um, you know, choose the activities that they want to do, not only the ones that they can do. Mm-hmm. And and some of that may mean that, um, you know, we're, we're able to train them to have better capacity mm-hmm. to to experience the world around them in the way that they want. Um, and it's, you know, it, good care in that space should not be, should not feel really judgmental. And, and so if you're struggling, then share the struggle with your f- providers because they can likely help um, support you and and give you um, some avenues to try different things. So as long as you're as long as you're trying, mm-hmm. then then uh, your team is gonna is gonna be able to to be helpful. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on and being so open about um, your own family story. And we're so thankful that um, Carter's doing so well and that we're just so thankful too that the many ways that we have found. Um, you know, that Lebonner is making sure that the whole body, the whole person, the whole family is taken care of. Um, and uh, we're so glad to know about the Healthy Lifestyles Clinic and what all it can offer. So thank you for your passion. Thank you for your knowledge. And um, thank you for everything that you bring to families here in the Mid-South. We really appreciate it. And and I would like to, to thank you as well. I have a one, one uh, personal time where we had a, a really long stay with Carter. And I remember, uh, you know, after you're there a few days, the world sort of starts to close around mm-hmm. a little bit, and you guys were doing dinner. Um, it was Gus's fried chicken. Oh, yeah. You were doing dinner, uh-huh. and I remember walking down and getting that, and it was like just like a grounding experience mm-hmm. that really, you know, was was valuable as things so, sort of feel like they're collapsing around you. It's it, it's such a simple thing, but it, it's it's really impactful. So I really appreciate the work that you guys do uh, as well. I think it's uh, you know it, it does make a tremendous impact on families. And like I said, in my even my personal um, experience, I, I I really have appreciated the uh, all of the time and effort you guys put in. And yeah. thank you guys for having me today. Yeah, we are glad to have you. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to our latest episode. We hope that this podcast is a resource for you and a source of support. Whether you are facing illness in your own family or want to walk beside other families dealing with childhood illness, we want the stories, wisdom, and knowledge shared to give you hope. Episodes will be released bi-weekly, so be sure to subscribe today.